All right, we're back, the Strike Show podcast in the season two. And, uh, you know, I got to thinking, we bring on right now during this offseason, our, let's call it our second offseason, but maybe for the players, it's really their first offseason as they seem to be playing professional golf uh, 12 months out of the year. And I reached out to this guy, former PGA Tour player, uh, was the 22nd ranked player in the world in 2007. One PGA Tour win, two Corn Ferry Tour wins, and you probably recognize him the most recently as one of the top analysts on the Golf Channel. Welcome in, uh, Aaron Oberholzer. How you doing? Good, Travis. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, I was uh, I was excited when you um, accepted my request because what I've been thinking about here um, with this episode of the podcast was really, you know, who could, who could, who's someone that could come in and talk about, you know, what we've seen maybe in the first quarter of the year on the PGA tour, call it, you know, January through March when the best players in the world um, have been playing, but also, you know, this relevant topic of instruction, the coaching world on the PGA tour. Of course, you were a former terrific player on the PGA tour. You've worked with some players, uh, I've seen some videos of you helping players with some instructional tips that you're putting out there. So I thought you'd be the perfect person. So I appreciate your time and uh, look forward to digging in here a little bit on these two topics. Absolutely. Well, let's let's start with the first quarter of the year, you know, on the PGA Tour. You know, of course, it's a wraparound season, but really the best players, you know, they start to play um, in January. You look back January through March anything kind of jump out at you for the for the first quarter on tour well, absolutely the one theme that I started to see early on was um, how much confidence a lot of the players from the international side of the president's key, cup team played so well mm. um, a lot of those guys who took a lot from Ernie and the way he captained that team and the way that uh, they played down at Royal Melbourne. And they hung with the United States for a long time. Um, and I think in their minds, they feel they should have won that that cup. There's no doubt. Uh, they let it slip in the end in singles where the U.S. in, in the past have, has been – they've been very strong in that, in that format. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to see Cam Smith come right out of the gates and win Sony, Abraham Answer finishing second at the American Express, Mark Leishman with a uh, win at Farmers and a second at API, and then Sung J.M., who I think we all feel might be the next, well, might be the the best young player if you're looking at guys under the age of 25. I don't think there's any idea, uh, there's any question that Sung JM is that guy right now, the best player under the age of 25, winning the Honda, um, and just seems to put up good result after good result. And he's obviously first in the FedEx Cup as we stand right now. Uh, you know that International Presidents Cup team really came out firing on all cylinders at the beginning of the year, and that's the one thing that kind of has stuck out to me in, to, at the beginning of the, uh, towards the beginning of this year. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it, it, of course, as an American, you you were I was cheering for the American team, but kind of there was a small piece of me <laughs> that wanted the international team uh, to win that. I mean, I'm a huge fan of RDLs, and those guys played hard. I mean, they were out there competing. Uh, they threw everything at the American team, but you got to handle it to them. They the American team they they dug deep and um, and got it done. You mentioned Sung Jae M, which we'll get to here uh, in the podcast because I want to break his game down. What an impressive uh, young player that he that he is. But let me throw this at you: as I look at the first half of the season, you you go to the international team, um, which is playing some terrific golf. I look at a lot of the big names. Gosh, I mean, they were struggling. I mean, this 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 um, stoppage in play is probably 
has been a good thing for a player like a Brooks Kepka who has really struggled. I look at DJ. He looks a little unmotivated to me in the first quarter of the year. Uh, Justin Rose has struggled. Ricky Fowler has struggled. The struggles continue for Jordan Speed. These are big wholesale names um, that were, were certainly not sharp in the first quarter. Uh, no, uh, DJ is a little surprising, uh, quite honestly. Uh, but when I, you know, what's going on with him technically, I'm not sure, quite honestly. Uh, I don't notice a lot of technical changes in his golf swing. He's actually hitting the highest percentage of fairways he's hit in the last five years right now at 62%. Um, his greens and regulation is down quite a bit though over the last couple of years. And that, that may be for a number of reasons. It could be because he's attacking too much. Maybe he's making too much of approach play. But when I look at the numbers in a little deeper and, and I look at his proximity where he was so good a few years ago when he won the U.S. Open and he did what he did on tour week, week in and week out, year in and year out, he, was, he, had, he had made it a point to be very good with his wedges. And right now he's well down the list uh, of, of, of approximation um, uh, to the hole yeah. from 50 to 125 yards where he was in the top 10 of that category on a regular basis. And so, uh, I mean, the average from 50 to 125, if I'm not mistaken, is right around 18, 19 feet. I don't have it right in front of yeah. me right now, mm -hmm. but, but he's at 25 feet. And so that's, that's a massive, massive loss uh, for him uh, for as long as he hits it because he's still driving it fairly well. So yeah. uh, I think that that's kind of where I see DJ's game right now from a statistical standpoint. He just needs to kind of pick that part of his game up, and I think he'll start, he'll start playing a little bit better. Short game hasn't been great. But I also think he's leaving himself in spots with his irons that are maybe he's attacking a little too much at times, being a little too over aggressive and uh, and, and not giving himself uh, good outs and maybe making some some ill-timed assessments on certain shots. Yeah. Is it is it fair with DJ who we're talking about Dustin Johnson here, the number five ranked player in the world? You mentioned his approach wedge game, which are great points, 50 to 100 and um you know, 25 yard approach wedge play. Dustin Johnson has a track man for one reason and one reason only, as I understand. And that is to see exactly how far the ball is carrying with his wedges. That's all he wants to see is that one number up there. Uh, he's 162nd strokes gain short game, 106 putting. Is it fair with DJ to say when you see these kinds of stats with the wedges, the finesse part of the game, that he's not perhaps putting the time in that he needs um, away from the golf course? That that could be. Uh, or him and Claude or Butch might be trying to do something different. Um, I know uh, uh, he they might be working on something else right now. Yeah. Um, that it might be more pressing that I don't know about, quite honestly, that we all don't know about. That's the thing is that, is that, you know, from my standpoint, if I don't hear it straight from the player's lips or I don't hear it straight from the coach's lips, I don't, I don't really buy it, quite honestly. And so I'm left to be, to kind of looking at the statistics and making very, ed as, as educated as of a, of, a, of a synopsis as I can. And with his game right now, Usually when one thing suffers in a player's game, it's almost getting cliche to say this, but when one thing suffers in a player's game, it's usually because he's putting onus on something else that needs a little bit more work because there's just not enough yeah. hours in the day to practice everything. Let's go to Brooks Kepka, world number two. He was number one. Rory, of course, passed him. Rory playing some some terrific golf. He wanted to keep things going um, here at the Players' Championship before they, they raised the flag, but... 
you know, Kepka, I knew, I, I felt like there was going to be some rust coming back from the injury, um, but it's been been a little concerning to say the least. You look at him um, right now, T43 at the Genesis, he missed the cut at the Honda, T47 um, at API, but you know, the distance is still there, you know, which tells me that, all right, everything's in, in shape um, from a physical standpoint. But Iron Game, 128th approach, his putting, though, has been... It's the has, putting. His putting has been yeah. really, really bad. What it's, do you make it's been, right now? Well, it's just been, it's been abysmal um, for Brooks. And Brooks is, you know, Brooks has got that rare combination when he's going uh, to have that rare combination to be able to um, drive the ball miles and drive it very well and then make putts when he needs to. And that's that's a very hard combination to, to have uh, on a regular basis. But he's a good putter. And and to see him putt the ball, and he says it himself, he's putting, it's terrible. His touch, his feel, um, his speed control. I was a little surprised. I mean, guys will try anything to kind of get out of a slump. I was a little surprised to see him go to that larger grip. I didn't think personally that was going to, that was the answer for him. Um, Because I do believe that he is an athletic feel type, more type player, quite honestly. And, And I believe that that personally, for most guys who go from a small grip, to that bigger grip, if you've been putting with a smaller pistol-style grip your whole life, and then you go to that big grip, that that changes a lot of things in your stroke. And I didn't know, I didn't think I when I saw that I was like, that is just odd. Um, and yeah. and and I said, he's searching. He's absolutely searching when I saw that. And so to to see him go back now to that grip, the last of any played in, he went back to his normal grip. I think he's going to start to find his feel. Now remember, in 2018, when he had those issues with his wrist and he was coming back from that wrist injury. He started a little slow and, and then he started to get his feels back and everything started to click again. And then boom, he wins two major championships. So I'm not too concerned. I'm not as concerned about Brooks as I, maybe some other guys are. I'm not, I think he's going to find his form. This is a little different because he, you know, once he found out he could hand the wrist could handle what it needs to handle and there was no issues, he was good to go. I think I think he, yeah. he might have developed some other things with the longer layoff with the with the knee issue. And maybe he played a little longer on the knee than he should have. And maybe, just maybe, potentially he developed some bad habits with his with his golf swing. It, it's it's it happens to yeah. all kinds of players when they get injured, that kind of stuff. And potentially that was the issue with, with Brooks. Cause when he came back, he said, look, my knee's good. My knee's good. There's nothing wrong with my knee. I'm not protecting my knee. I'm hundred percent. I believe him. So in that case, something might've been kind of left over from what was mm-hmm. going on with the knee prior to that. And, and it just snuck in and subconsciously yep. as a golfer, you're going to pr- protect something that's been injured and or worked on. You just don't know how it's going to react. So that stuff might have been just left over scar tissue from, uh, well, or psychological, you know, scar tissue from from where, uh, from where he was prior, and it and it he let it bleed into his subconscious as he was coming back. And it's going to happen to just about every golfer out there until you really realize that you're one hundred percent, you're good to go. I can trust it. I can rotate. I can post on that on that knee. I can get into that knee. Uh, there's, there's not going to be, you're, you're not going to feel 100%, uh, mentally about it until, you know, until it's absolutely there and you can hit the shots. So, um, I think some of that stuff that he discovered maybe with Butch, um, uh, was something that he needed. And now that he's got that piece of the puzzle, 
this time off for a guy like Butch or a guy like Tiger, um, who who needs that 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 extra that might need that extra little cushion of rest and or reps to really get their bodies and or game back in shape. These guys could really be fired on all cylinders when they come back. Potentially, there's everybody's going to have competitive yeah. rust, but those two guys they might have needed this break as as much as anybody. Yeah, no, I think it's fair. I think this break is going to serve um, Brooks fairly well, um, and. You know, Ricky Fowler, who's taking on some swing changes with John Tillery, some pretty good size changes, by the way. I think this break's going to serve him well. Um, I get the feeling with, you know, Dustin, he would rather just kind of continue to play and work through it. But, you know, May 21st is the target date right now, the Charles Schwab, Schwab Cup for the tour out there at the Colonial. That that probably, that might have the best field in oh, golf no, ever because everybody's no, got No doubt. I, I mean, that, 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 could get, that could get at least half the top 50 in the world. At least half the top 50 in the yeah, world. I, agree. I mean, I, I, I think Colonial right now is sitting there with their fingers crossed and just sitting down going, please, 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 please. Let it, let it, let us be able to play because they will get an incredible field uh, if they, if if we can start playing that week. Let's talk about some of these young guns here for a second. Then I want to transition into coaching and instruction out there on the PGA Tour. Um, you know, Victor Hovland, what an impressive young man. I got to play with him um, last year down at the Arnold Palmer Invitational in the pro am. Um, I mean, the guy hits it as straight as a string. Colin Morikawa, who um, I'm really excited about to see his career. Of course, Matthew Wolf has the flash, has the power. You know, those are the three that get the headlines. Um, but, you know, Sung M of those four, I would say, is the most impressive. What do you say? I, I agree with you 100%. Um, when you look at all these 21 and 22-year-olds out there, and you can put uh, Wako Neiman in there as well. Yeah. Um, and and I, I'd, I'd, say, I'd say of those five guys, um, Hovland and, uh, Hovland and, and, and uh, Sungjae impressed me the most okay. of, of those five guys. Now, I'm, it's not that I'm not impressed with Matthew Wolf. I love watching the guy play. But he's got a ways to go to build his game. He didn't. He 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 has the right stuff to be a a world beater. He uh-huh. just has to. He hasn't put it all together yet in one package. And he's him and George Gankus are, are working on it for sure. And I believe he'll get there at some point. But it's going to take a little bit more time for him. Uh, whereas I think Morikawa and Sungjae and and Hovland they come a little bit more packaged. They they those guys have they don't. There's no. Other than Hovland's chipping, which he admits is sucks in his words, he says um, that you know those guys don't have a lot of weaknesses. I mean, there's no weaknesses in Morikawa's game. Me, you could look at his putting here and there, but there's really no weaknesses. And Sungjae zero. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd have to say I'd have to say that the most upside right now is is either Hovland and or Sungjae, just based on you know recency bias, obviously with Sungjae and, and the way he's playing. But he's proved it over the last few years how good a player he can be. I think if Hovland figures out the chipping part, if he finds the right coach to help him figure out how he can get away from leading edge, diggy, yeah. use the bounce properly, if he can find the right coach. And I believe from the grapevine, I've heard he might he might be looking at Pete Cowan for that. I'm not positive of that. That's just something I heard in passing. Don't don't take my word for it. Yeah, um, that would be a great start if that's the case, because uh, uh, I, I think very I think a lot of us think very highly of, of Pete as a coach. Yeah, um, sure. but but uh, if he fixes that, it's going to be a great battle. Now, the only thing I would look at 
I don't know how you I don't know how you feel, but the way I look at more uh, Colin Morikawa, the only thing he's lacking really in in this whole deal is is distance. You know, everybody mm-hmm. talks about he's it's not as long. Well, he can do it like speed, you know, did for yep. so long. Whereas, okay, you're going to average that tour average, 295, 296, 297. That's plenty long enough to get it done. You just got to be really good from 150 to 200 yards with your irons, which speed was incredible from that distance. And that's what allowed him, and, and he putted well, and that's what allowed him to be as good as he was and, and do the things that he did and win three major championships. I think Colin's mm-hmm. going to have to get it done more that way. He's going to have to – his approach play from 150 to 200 is going to have to be impeccable, and his putting is going to have to be impeccable. Yeah, those are those are great points. And it's funny, when you look at players and you look at them statistically, um, you know, every player, there's usually something that jumps out at you that's like, okay, he needs to get better here. And as you mentioned with Victor Hovland, it's, it's the chipping, it's around the greens – um, you know, Matthew Wolf, he's got the distance, but his accuracy is not great. I mean, he's, he's way down there in stroke skin approach and, and with his iron play, I mean, he's got to get much tighter, um, with that part of the game. And then, and then Colin, who is more accurate, you know, he doesn't have the distance, as you said. And of course we are very much in the distance era. I can remember sitting at PGA tour headquarters, doing some work for them. And we were going through it when they announced Sung M as the rookie of the year last year. And I pulled him up and we were doing this voiceover work and I was looking at his stats and I, and I thought to myself, he doesn't have any weaknesses. No. Zero. <laughs> I mean, this guy has good distance. He hits it relatively straight. Um, he's, he's right there in strokes gain approach. His, his short game was great last year. His putting was great last year. He slipped a little bit, I believe this year around the greens. Um, but he had zero weaknesses and, um, as a rookie on the PGA tour, I mean, he is, um, He's an interesting guy. You know, he, as I understand, he doesn't have a house no. um, in the United States. No one plays more tournaments than, than he nope. does on the PGA Tour. He basically just travels weekend and week out. Pretty much, I know he has a small team, but he's out there doing it on his own. And he is he is an impressive, impressive young man. He, he is. He's very impressive. The one thing I like, though, when I see him out there, I don't see a massive entourage, to your point. And I right. love that. I love that when I don't see when I don't see a manager walking the fairways or a, a short game coach, a swing coach, a, a, a dietitian, a, you know, you name it. When I don't see those guys all walking the golf course, I, I'm, I'm like that guy. He wants to understand it himself. He wants to he yeah. wants to own it. And and there's no doubt Sungjae owns every ounce of it. And he works hard. He works his butt off just like everybody else does out there. But he he owns it right now, and he knows what he's doing 100%. And at 21 years old, good gracious, that is, I mean, the sky's limit. I was asked the other day if, if he could be the, the best Korean player that's that there's that there's ever been. Male, come, male, of course, the females have been ridiculously good. Um, but the best male-born right. Korean player, and I said, no doubt. I think KJ had a phenomenal career, and he's kind of the benchmark for Koreans. Um, and I think that at 21 years old with a win under his belt and all the accolades now, I, 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 I think that he can get, I think he can get, I think Sungjae can get past eight wins and a players and, or a major. Um, I, yeah. I think he's got that kind of game. And I think he, I think he will eventually supplant KJ Choi as the best Korean player, uh, to come out of the, uh, Korea from the male side for sure. Yeah. And, and this is a great transition now into coaching because he doesn't have that entourage, um, following him around. And you, you know, who else who doesn't have it as well as Rory McIlroy, yep. uh, 
John yep. Rahm. Um, you know, these international players, I think it's fair to say, going at it a little bit more yeah, independently. And, and they have you can throw JT in there, too. I mean, Mike's on the road with him, but Mike's not hovering over him overbearingly like, you got to do this, you got to do that. You know, JT discovers things on his own, too. I think, I think Mike's there to help every once in a while, but but I, he doesn't yeah. – I've watched those guys interact a lot on the range, and Mike's not doing a whole lot. He's letting JT discover – things for himself, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so do I. And I think it, as we get into this coaching conversation um, on the PGA tour, the timing of it is um, irrelevant. Of course, uh, your colleague at golf channel, Brandon Chambly, his interview with golf week, he had a lot to say about modern coaching, some examples of coach player relationships uh, that are happening uh, on the PGA tour. And, and, and let me, let me start with this question, um, to you, Aaron, you were a great player. Um, you, you won the AT&T, uh, you got to 22 in the world. I mean, you were a world-class player. Let me ask you when you were out there in the peak, who did you counsel? Did, did you have a team? Did you ask anybody for help? How, how was it for Aaron Oberholzer as a professional golfer with a coach? or Well, coaches? entourages had started to show up when I was out there playing um, to a certain extent. OK, um, I can't remember offhand who had the entourages. I, I, I know I, I want to say uh, uh, maybe it was more media, but I remember Shigeki Mariyama at, at majors. He'd have a pretty good entourage and maybe that was more media. I didn't really pay close attention, but I do remember having certain guys where there were, I'd play practice rounds and all of a sudden here comes all the, you know, a few other people. I'm like, what, what is going on here? Why are there three people standing in my line? <laughs> um, and so I would, uh, for me, I'm, man, I'm super old school, Travis. Um, and, and I, and I've had to learn yeah. and had to understand, I guess, to a certain extent, and maybe I don't agree with it all the time. But my coach, I have, I've had two coaches my entire life, like guys that I can call ser like real coaches. My first teacher, Roger Graves, God rest his soul, uh, from Crystal Springs, who was the head pro there from when, I, and he was my coach from my freshman year in high school to my senior year in college. And he was Hogan, Nelson, Sneed, Nicholas, boom, anything combine those. That's what he tried to teach me. Now I didn't swing like those guys, but that's what I, that was my interpretation of what he was telling me. Very old school, target oriented, you know, get your body to move towards the target and get that ball going where you want to start it. Very intuitive, very athletic. Um, then when I got out of school, I needed more. I felt like I'd, I that, that had run its course and I, I felt like I needed more because I missed first stage of Q school right off the bat. And I was an All-American, you know, a very good college player and thought that I was just going to breeze right through Q school, get my card and boom, I'm on my way. And I get slapped in the face first stage of Q school. So John Kennedy, who is now the San Jose State head coach, who was then the Santa Clara head coach, um, he's been my coach ever since. So two guys. And John really John really had okay. really helped me on my trajectory as a player. And he took a lot of the stuff that Roger taught me. And, and, and John agreed with all the stuff because he's very much cut from the same cloth. But with a slightly new school vibe, and he's not, and and he was, and he he embraces technology, but he uses it sparingly only when need be, which I appreciated. But he was genius. He learned a lot of stuff from Freddie Shoemaker, who was fantastic. If you don't know who Fred Shoemaker is, he was a lot of process-oriented stuff, routine-oriented stuff, how to play the game at the highest level, and that's what I learned from John. It was very much process, routine, target orientation. With a little bit of a of a of a change here or change here, very slight, easy to make the, those changes, and then just keep going. 
Um, I, I was, I was such a field player and I was so hard headed and I had such a filter Travis that you couldn't tell me anything. I would look at you with such a disdain. If you told me this is what you should do. I would look at you with just, just the biggest stink eye. I'm like, dude, I'm the player. How do you, I mean, I could, I could beat you left-handed. Why are you telling me this? That with that kind of attitude. But I think to a certain extent, that's that's kind of the attitude that I think players should have when they go into when they go into coaching, when Mm -hmm. they go in with a new coach. Question, 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 constantly question the coach. If they don't come up with the answers that you you deem valid, then you need to get out of there. I mean, in a hurry, heartbeat, move, move on. Don't give them a month. Don't give them two months. Get out of there. So so John was John was a great fit for me because he didn't try to change me. He didn't try to make wholesale changes. Now, going moving on from there, um, I had I had basically I had a cup of coffee with two, you know, what you would consider top 50 instructors. Okay, I had I had four months with with uh, with Peter Costas, my rookie year. And I had literally one lesson from both. Uh, Butch Harmon and I couldn't do what I and I appreciated both those guys because they're obviously great teachers but they weren't great for me because I couldn't do what they wanted to do mm-hmm. and they didn't speak my language if that makes sense mm-hmm. you need to speak a lot of different languages yeah. if they want to truly be a great teacher you've got to be able to communicate a lot of different ways the same thing and Maybe they were trying to say something to me that I just I wasn't understanding it and or my body couldn't do at the time. So is it it's probably 50 percent my fault, 50 percent their fault that they couldn't communicate it the way that they wanted to. That's kind of how I that I look at the teacher player relationship to a certain extent. It's a 50 50 thing. And I think that certain certain players, I will say this though, I put one more percent in the players uh, bracket. I don't blame teachers. I am more apt to blame the player for staying too long than, than the teacher for teaching that player what he's teaching. If it does it, you as the player, you have the ultimate say. You are the one controlling the narrative. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't like what that person's saying or that teacher's saying, then you need to question absolutely everything. Like I said, and then if it's not, if it's still not working, then you need to get out of there. But as the teacher, it's up to you. If that student really wants to learn and they're just not getting it, it's up to you. If you're not communicating the right way and they're not getting it to go, look, man, I've tried everything under the sun and I'm sorry, it's not working, but but I want the best yeah. for you. So we probably need to start finding someone else for you that might, that might help you out. Because not all teachers are right, quite right. honestly. They're not right. Some some guys see things a different way or communicate things a different way that a player understands. Everybody speaks, like I said, different languages. And it's hard to find that matchup sometimes, Travis. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, through that process, and you named Butch Harmon, Peter Costas, who have helped so many, I assure you that they would tell you that they were not productive for as many players, if not more, you know, as a teacher, just for me personally speaking, you know, I have failed many times with students for just whatever reasons, right? It just like, we just didn't communicate very well, or um, perhaps I wasn't doing the right things. There's a lot of success, but there's, there's failure as well. And I think you learn from each one of those examples and you go all the way up uh, to the best teachers out there on the PGA tour, but charm has probably had the most success. He's had a lot of um, setbacks as well that I'm sure he just kind of looked at and be like, you know what? It is what it is. 
and you kind of chalk it up and you learn. My, my next question to you is, is have we gone too far in the professional game? I mean, as far as this entourage, as far as these teachers, I know a lot of these teachers, I mean, they're traveling with these guys every single week. I mean, does a teacher really need to be out there? With the I don't, I personally don't think so. I, I, I think, I think everybody's different. Every player is different, obviously. But I personally think that players would be better off if if they self-discovered, if they if they allowed themselves mm-hmm. the avenue of, of more self-discovery and figuring it out on the range, uh, digging it out of the dirt, as Hogan said. Um, I think that players would be better off if they did more of that, quite honestly, the players who aren't doing that. And then yeah. going back to the teacher and saying, hey, this is what I found out. What do you think? You know? Um, and then, and having a healthy discussion at that, at, uh, in that regard, you know, taking good notes. Like I used to do that with, with John, with Kennedy all the time, John and I would, you know, he, I saw him four times a year. I saw him at three majors and come with me to the masters, the U S open and the PGA. And then I saw him at the AT&T Pebble beach. And that's it. Maybe I'd stop in Northern California when I would go mm-hmm. see my mom or something like that. And I'd go down to the range and, and we, we literally, it was like a Jack route, Jack Nicholas lesson. We'd BS for 45 minutes and then actually talk about my golf swing for 15 in an, in an hour, you know? So, yeah. so it, it, it yeah. it's one of those things where, um, uh, it, it's, I, again, I put the onus more on the player. It's their life. It's their career. Own it, man. Own it. And you, you know, use the guys yeah. to, to, to yeah. your, to your best use teachers to your, the best of your ability, but have a filter. I think so many players miss the filter. They're just, they take in whatever. And then before you know it, you've got a jumble, gobbledygook, all kinds of stuff up there and you can't make sense of anything. And, uh, and that's bad. That's obviously a bad thing. You got to have clarity out there. And I think that the best players have the most clarity. I just want to interrupt this interview real quick and give a shout out to my friends over at Encore Golf. Encore provides some of the most cutting edge technology in a golf ball that I have ever seen. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through their perimeter-weighted designs, which offer players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course. With their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, they are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the stripe show it's such an interesting you know dynamic you know my 20 years of teaching um you know i elected years and years ago i, I didn't want to live that life and travel and i had some small opportunities and felt like i could have made a go of it and gotten out there and made myself more available to do those things um you know worked with fred funk for a long time um early in his champions tour career and and some others, but never travel, you know? And so for me and knowing a lot of these guys that have done it full time, uh, I have a lot of respect for them. And it's such an interesting dynamic when you, when you have this player coach relationship, the players doing this, um, you know, for a living and you're trying to play this, this role the best that you can, because you know, um, a, it's what you love to do, but B, um, what it can mean for your career, right? A lot of these guys, they built their name in working with the best players in the world. And I think, frankly, we tend to credit teachers who are working with PGA Tour players as the best teachers, sure. you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. Like, that's, that's well, I, just I, the way it is. I, I, look, at it, I look at it this way, Travis. They're also working with, with, yeah, the best players who have the best feels, the best everything, right. the best body movements, the best – 
I mean, it, it's it's like like I, I'll be very honest with you. I am not. A, we all know I'm not an instructor. I'm I'm a I'm a PGA Tour player uh, turned TV analyst, and I understand the PGA Tour game very well. However, mm-hmm. if you're going to ask me to take Mrs. Havacamp, who's a 20 handicapper, and turn her into a 10, I got no chance. Zero prayer. That's where a <laughs> yeah. real instructor like yourself blows the doors off of me. But I can take a, I can take a, 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 for instance, my buddy Parker McLaughlin, who I work with every once in a while. And, and again, I'm still, yeah. I still, I understand things, the, the, the stuff that I understand that he needs to do in his golf swing. I also get from George Gankus and Shaheen Nakchivani who are trying to get, who George is yeah. trying to get Parker to do certain things. Well, I understand what he's trying to do. I see a certain, I see a couple of things in Parker's swing. I want to do this. I want to tweak that just subtle changes, but he's got the ability to make the movements necessary in one swing. So this, these best teachers are all mm-hmm. the best athletes in the world. So uh, that's the thing. Now you take Mrs. Yeah. Havacamp and you take her from a 20 to a 10 boy, you are a teacher. You are a teacher. <laughs> well there's different there's certainly you know different um different teachers For uh, sure. out there making different livings and you know the scope has got that and the scope has gotten bigger in the in the social media platform couple guys that you mentioned who are very big in the social media platform but also um working with the more skilled player and you know i i look at that relationship back to what i was saying with the with the coach and the player and how much time is spent not just in person with them traveling with them, but on the phone and texting. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, man, these guys are the best players in the world. They are the most skilled golfers uh, in the world. And from my experience and working with Fred and others, I always felt that um, I was more productive um, when I was creating that environment for them to self-discover, for them to come to me um, with answers, maybe with a question, rather than me trying to tell them exactly what I think they should do. And I just think sometimes yeah. it could be so overdone out there. It's almost like you're, it's almost like you're coddling well, them to some degree and you're not creating that environment for them to take that full responsibility of, of self-discovery of what they're trying to get out there and do, which is ultimately. Exactly right. And I agree with you. I'm, that's the kind of teacher I want for my, for me personally. And if my boys get into it, that's the kind of teacher I want them to have is one that's into self-discovery. And not going to tell them your elbow's off. You need to get your elbow here. You need to get, there's a certain amount of technical expertise that you need, I think to a certain extent, but you're a lot built in your DNA and, and what you learn uh, physically as a young person all the way through maybe your early teens, that kind of sticks with you and what you're able to do and to make, to change, you can't change your DNA, obviously. And that gets into your swing DNA and then your swing forms. And, yeah. and it's up to, I guess, the parent or whoever, or the coach at a, at, at, to a, to someone at, at a young age to either, okay, do I, do I want to take the genius, the potential genius out of this kid um, and get him position oriented potentially and thinking too much about, gosh, my elbow, right. Or do I want to get this person more routine target oriented? Because, uh, you know, it, it's, I think that that's a, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hard balance to kind of to manage at that point for, for the teacher and the student um, uh, relationship. And as it, as it, in regards to the PGA tour, um, I think there's a lot of theory out there. There's a lot of theory out there and there's a lot of pretty swings, but I'm not, but, but they also have to have practical application. They have to shoot scores and scores add up to dollars or FedEx cup points, however you want to look at it. 
And that's mm-hmm. ultimately what, what players judge themselves on. And, and those FedEx Cup points, if you make enough of them, add up to a nice trophy. So, so it, it's, um, it's practical application of these theories that really counts the most. And if you're not making, if the teacher isn't making that proper practical application, then all is for not. You can make a pretty golf. Yeah, you know, and, and back to this um, interview that, uh, you know, Brandel Chambly had with Golf Week. When you read that, and, and he had a lot of things to say about modern teaching. When you read that, what was your... What was My your initial reaction was Brandel made a lot of good points, quite honestly. Um, I think he, I think he, um, I think he basic he kind of... He he kind of shock jocked it a little bit too much, in my humble opinion. Um, and but that's just that's that's Brandel, quite honestly. He's he's blunt, he's to the point, and that's why I appreciate him. Uh, and that's why he's good at what he does, quite honestly. Is that he's not going to sugarcoat things. He's going to kind of tell you how how it is. And I think that that kind of ruffled some feathers, without a doubt. I think we all know it ruffled quite a few feathers in the in the teaching industry. But that's maybe what he wants. Quite honestly, maybe he wants to get people mad and, and understand that there's a different way to look at this thing. Um, you know, I'm I'm a product to his point. I'm a product of the David Ledbetter 80s and 90s teaching institution where everybody came along and saw David Ledbetter and said, look at all the success he's having with Nick Faldo. And I remember using the David. I don't know if you remember it, Travis, but the Davis Le- or the David Ledbetter swing link that went around your chest and went around your yep. arm. Oh, yeah. And I had a guy on Twitter ask me the other day, why is your swing, why is your elbow so tucked? Basically, his question was, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, why is your elbow so tucked to your side? Your, your elbow's not. And I said, well, that's using 15 to 6. I, I pretty much started every session I hit balls with the David Ledbetter swing link, you know, trying to trying to figure out how to keep the club more in front of me and more around my body and not get so, not get my, bot, my arms so separated from my body. It was Nick Price. It was... It was those guys that Ledbetter was teaching back then that were kind of the models. So kind of, I think a lot of teachers went and kind of went in that direction to a certain state, restrict the hips, turn, you know, the X factor type stuff like Jim McClain, restrict the hips, turn the shoulders more. Well, we, we understand now through, well, through revisionist history to a certain extent that those teachers didn't have the same tools that you guys have nowadays. They didn't have, they didn't have track man. They didn't have um, uh, 3D motion capture. They didn't have all those tools at their disposal for, so they were looking at golf swings thinking, okay, where do we create power? Where do, but they were just looking at videos. They weren't, they weren't, they didn't have actual numbers. They didn't have actual measure tools like have today, power plates and so on and so forth. So I think the teachers of today, there are no excuses really for the teachers of today. Um, they have everything that there's ever been a better time in the history of golf to be an instructor than it is right now, in my opinion, because of all of the tools at your disposal as an instructor. Yeah. And so there's no excuses. You can diagnose things so much quicker, so much easier. But then at that point, that's when you have to become a real instructor. How do I apply to what I know is the problem? How do I attack that problem? And, and I think that's where we find out who the good teachers are and who the teachers are who need to learn a few more things. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it's the application of, you know, A, B, and C. And I think if we'll talk for the amateur golfer here now. And, you know, I always say, look, there's a difference between great information and then great information in the right order. There's a lot of great information out there. But at the end of the day, and I remember when I was training a lot of young teachers getting into the business, I said, you got to go out there. You have to invest in great information, science is available to you now, and it's going to continue 
to change your thought process and how you view things. It has me and it will probably continue. I mean, if you're not evolving and you're teaching the game exactly today as you were 10 years ago, then you probably need to take a look at yourself a little bit. Um, so that's always going to continue to evolve to some degree, but I also encourage them to take the time on the presentation of it, the application of it and putting things in the right order for people. So at the end of the day for amateur golfers, you're improving the probability of impact. And as you're improving that probability of impact, um, you know, they're, they're able to hit more shots. They're able to develop more skill. I think when you get on the tour level, their skill is so well, that, high and, anyway. Um, so, sorry. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say it real quick. It, it, it's interesting, the perception, I think, from the outside looking in, if I was an amateur golfer, is that it's technique. That's the difference that it's it's this small technical thing that we see from a lot of the teachers. But the reality is it isn't. It's really between the ears, isn't it? That's the difference in, in to, for most of these guys um, to take that. Well, I think every, I think each player is different. I think there could be a board. technical change, a very, very small, minute technical change that might give a player confidence. Oh, my gosh. You know, when ta- when when players talk about I found something on the range, which you, you don't hear that a lot, actually. You know, yeah. guys, you know, like my old coach used to say that Roger – to find it on Wednesday you got to bring you got to dance with who brought you there that week because usually you're not going to find it so rarely you will find something during a tournament and go oh click there it is but that's that maybe one little tiny minute technical timing piece something maybe you're only something just to that player makes sense that that clicks and you you're just you're ginning you're just you can't you're flushing it and and that that's a great confidence builder, especially if yeah. as you if you discovered on your own as a player, that's what gives you massive loads of confidence because that's mm-hmm. that is ingraining in you the understanding of your own golf swing and what you need to do versus a teacher telling you, hey, you're yeah. you're not rotating, you're not you know you're not prota- pronating your right forearm you know enough, where which you know even players on PGA Tour are gonna be like, well, what? I mean, how the hell do I do that? You know, you know how to do it, but where do I do that? When do I do that? How, you know, how should I do that? So it's, it's, yeah, that, that's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a tricky balance um, for a teacher on the, on the PGA tour versus I think the, the average teacher who teaches the masses, I mean, the real heroes of the game, the the club pros, the guys who are, are, are in the trenches day in and day out, given, given lessons to, uh, to the amateurs, those amateurs, to your point, they're, because they don't know what to ask. They don't know what they don't under, they don't know themselves as golfers. And and so I think that's a little bit tougher. So that teacher has a little bit more onus on them to really give them good information for what's going on at the tour level. As a, this is why I put most of it on a on a tour player. Fifty without fifty one percent. You have to be communicative to that teacher 24 seven and tell yeah. them everything that you're feeling, everything that's going on. And question, question, question constantly um, so that you have a, 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 an absolute understanding of what you're doing as a player. And if you're not doing that, then you're going to let in ki- all kinds of stuff that maybe you shouldn't let in. Uh, and, and I think that that's that yeah. I think that that's really crucial. And, and listen, at that level, there can't be any hard feelings. It is strictly yeah. business, strictly business. Yeah. Yeah. And- yeah. And it's inevitable, really, that as a coach, you're going to get fired. I mean, it, you know, these these players have so many options and 
you know, there are some examples like we see with Spieth and McCormick, which we'll get to here in a second, that have been together for a long time. Uh, Rory McIlroy and Michael Bannon, like there are examples of that. But for the most part, teacher, at some point, no matter how much success you've had, you're going to get fired. Right. I mean, Tiger and Butch split, um, you know, Phil Mickelson and Rick Smith split like these guys yeah. had a lot of success together. And it's just inevitable that, you know, for whatever reason, they're going uh, to part ways. You know, I read Randall's interview um, and, you know, there he does make a lot of good points. I mean, I, I think Randall is very good at what he does um, in, in his chair, very well researched, obviously bringing a, a, a very insightful message. Uh, I think from a teacher standpoint, looking at it where it probably, at least for me, not to speak for other teachers, but certainly um, the outrage that is out there. Um, I think the broad strokes were probably a little too aggressive um, in kind of putting everybody into this uh, into this bucket of, uh, as he put it, quote, being bitch slapped. You know, the idiocy is probably a very strong word. I'll, I'll be I'll be the first to admit I've made a lot of mistakes as a teacher um, and have put some things out there that I probably wish I would have said a little bit differently. Um, and, and I think, you know, Brandel's very, very. Uh, opinionated on what he thinks in the golf swing and he speaks in the way as a teacher and I think for speaking on behalf of the instruction world we would love to see him you know get a piece of turf right and and start to teach and start putting a lot of the things to uh to flourishing uh, and to get results because the reality is, is when you get into the trenches with people and particularly that better level player out on tour you know, you're having to manage a lot of things. And I can tell you, just in the experience that I've had, you know, you're working with a player and sometimes this is where you want to go. And as you mentioned, as a player, I'm not going to do that. These, this is, this is not where I want to go. So there's this give and take. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors at times. Um, there were times I was having a conversation with a player. I was like, if someone was videoing the last 45 minutes of this conversation, <laughs> they would just sit there and be like, what in the hell are these guys talking about? They just witnessed, they just witnessed this complete circle. Circle. Massive. So massive. The human element is a big part of it, and I think when you when you start throwing around words like you know the the idiocy and these big broad strokes, I can fix speed swing in two seconds. You know, I giggle when I read this or I watch this with a coach. It just kind of screams arrogance to me, and it just it, that's what I think rubs the teacher the wrong way. And I think that's where we'd like to see. Hey, why don't you get yourself a piece of turf? Yeah. And, and then we can kind of go yeah. from there since you're talking as a teacher. But with all that said, with all that, with all that said, or, you know, I think, oh, he does. you know, Randall does make some good points um, about, mo about modern teaching. I think he makes one of the points that he made about Jordan Spieth and Cameron McCormick. You know, this is an example. And I got to tell you, yeah. you know, Spieth's been struggling. Now we're pushing on two years, Aaron, you know, we're pushing on two years here for this guy to be struggling. He has really shown a lot of trust with Cameron McCormick, who I think is a very good coach, but something is not working there. And I don't, I'm not putting the blame on one of the, but, but something is not working to get Jordan Spieth to the point where he's not snap hooking um, it in terms yeah, of play. I think that again, I don't, I am not privy to any conversations that he or Cameron McCormick are having. I don't think any of us are, except for maybe Michael Greller, maybe Jay Danzi as manager. Uh, those are about the only guys. Those four guys probably know what's what's really, really going on. Uh, the rest of us are just left to ponder and, and make educated guesses, as educated as we can about what's going on. From a player's standpoint, he has, he has put a lot of trust yeah. in Cameron. 
And I said, I said on air at the players championship, when we were watching him on the range, I said, I think he needs a new set of eyes. I said it on air and I'm, I, and I backed that up. I think he does. I think Jordan does need a new set of eyes. Uh, and, and much like when I went from my coach, John Kennedy for literally for four months and a cup of coffee with Peter Costas, my rookie year, thinking that I might need another set of eyes down here in Scottsdale and thinking that I was making the right move. Spieth might do the same thing with another teacher and he'll, and he'll go, Oh no, this, this isn't, whoop, whoop, nope, this isn't, this isn't working for me. This, I, I need to go back. And he, he, that might be the case, or it could be just the opposite. He'd go, Oh, this is exactly what I need. Now I'm in the right positions. Now I can do what I need to do now. Boy, my iron game's coming back and boom. And then the lights coming on and and it's all over again. He's a top 10 player in the world. And back to contending in major championships and winning, winning them again. That that could be that could be the, the situation. Right. Um, but I do think that at this point, I I don't think it would be bad. And I think it would be. I think if Cameron really really loves the kid and really really wants to see him do well, he'll sit there and he'll go, Jordan. I've tried everything. I, I don't know what's going on, but I think we, we need to find someone who really can diagnose your issue and and really get you going where you want to go. That's I mean. Teachers have got a, a lot of teachers out there have got to swallow their egos yeah. at times and just do what's best for the player and not what's best potentially, maybe potentially for their business at times and and really do what's best for the player. Yeah, it is tough. That's a tough one, you know, for a teacher. And I've I've I've, I've lived that a, a handful of times over the years and speaking from experience there where. You know, you, you, you know, things are going good, things are going good. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go through this period of time where it's like, you know, you know, something is, is not happening here. The player is not performing. And as a coach, it's really easy to say, well, he's just not doing what I'm asking him to do. I understand the science. I, I, well, then the either, then I, I would this, say then you're either applying the reality the science is, is something is to that student and, or you're not communicating the science properly. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. Right. So exactly. So, and there's just times where you just, you just, it's just not happening as a coach. And I think you have to be able to step away and you have to be able to swallow your pride to your point and say, you know what? Um, you know, I, it just didn't work out for me in that situation. I didn't do a good job with that player. I didn't get him um, no, to where not at he all. wants to go. It doesn't make you a bad coach. Uh, but I think, I think, yeah. And I think in this, you know, but I, I do think in this world, teachers. Absolutely. You know, I think everybody's, everybody's got an ego. Everybody's got an ego. Of, and, 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 and that's, them. and that's, that's to be, <laughs> yeah. I guess, expected to a certain yeah. extent, but it's, I think it's up to the teacher at that point. If the player, if mm-hmm. the player is just racking his head, and quite honestly, it's up to Jordan sometimes to go, Cameron, this is not working, dude. We got to find something else because this, is, this isn't working for me. I can't be negative half a shot and strokes gained approach and driving and, and expect to compete at any level. Yeah. Were you surprised when Brooks traveled to see Butch? A little bit. Was that, a that little bit. It you? did. It, it, you know, at, at first – yeah, first I was yeah, like, no. it, it caught. I kind of raised an eyebrow. I mean, I wasn't like whoa, but I was. It kind of raised an eyebrow for me for sure. And and again, there, that that's 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 a yeah. phenomenal example of family of teachers who are all phenomenal golf people and have ridiculous knowledge of the golf swing and golf in general. And here is a father yeah. who are both very good teachers, phenomenal teachers. But but maybe they speak different languages and see different things. And Claude couldn't see exactly what Butch could see or either or did and couldn't communicate it to Brooks the way he wanted it communicated. That could have been the case. I don't know for a fact, 
but but uh-huh. but it was enough for Brooks to go because he knows it's it's business. It's not personal. It's business. Hop on that plane, go see Butch. Mm-hmm. Butch diagnoses it in four swings because either A, he saw something that Claw didn't, and or he communicated what Claw did see in a different way so that Brooks could understand it a little bit better. It's it, it it's there there can't be any hard feelings and even though yep. it's really hard, I understand for teachers. There can't be any hard feelings in this business. The the ultimate goal of a teacher is support, and it should always be support for the player. And that should be your number one. That should be your number one mantra. How do I support this yeah. player so that they can play their best? And if you're not thinking like that, in my humble opinion, as an instructor, you're in the wrong business. Yeah, yeah. And I think for the most part, these guys do. At least from my interaction with them and and my resources. Um, you know, Cameron McCormick seems like a, a terrific support guy uh, to me, you know, and 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 probably would take a step back yeah. if, if needed or maybe he has tried already. I don't know. But he seems like he seems like that very much that support kind of guy. I think Claude Herman, the third uh, is is very much like that, um, you know, and probably. You know, well, I I know I know Claude's like that because dad, I walked but, nine holes uh, with Claude the Monday of the players, and he was out there with walking with Siwoo Kim for nine holes, and and just for support, I I didn't see them yeah. hardly talk about a thing, mm-hmm. but just reassuring Siwoo that he was doing the right things. That's it. Yeah, you know, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, not an easy job. You know, I got a lot of respect for those nope. guys. Not, I, There's I no roadmap. Respect for those guys. There's no blueprint to it, and um, it's just. Uh, there isn't. And it's just funny. It's just not funny, but it's fun to see uh, and to watch um, from a distance and knowing a lot of them. I know how hard they work. The hours these guys put in is uh, it's 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 remarkable when you're starting to work with two or three different players and how much time they put out there. Last combination here, uh, Ricky Fowler, you know, Butch decided not to travel. Um, you know, I know Claude kind of walked with him a little bit, but he he's decided to to move over to John Tillery, someone that I know very well. He worked with Kevin Kisner, worked with Scott Brown. Um, and he's done a nice job with those guys. And, you know, Ricky is coming over and making some wholesale changes. I mean, what I see when I watch him working on his swing now, I see a player who um, is trying to load a little bit more into the right side. I see a player trying to set the club more vertically and a little bit more across the line um, and a little less laid off. Massive which are pretty good size changes. And back to Brandel's interview, he, he felt, you know, those kinds of changes are, it, well, not always in the best. I, I agree a hundred percent with Brandel on this one. Like um, example. When, you when, when you're trying to go from, all right, how do I say this in teacher speak since I'm not a teacher, but I've, I've learned a lot from you guys over the last few years, the new, the new school speak that Joe Mayo got me on. When you're trying to go from when you're extremely flat and your your trail shoulders totally externally rotated and you've got no more external rotation in that shoulder, the only way you can go since you can't drop it any more underneath and flatten it out anymore is to pitch it steep, right? Which is where Ricky is. Am I right, Travis? Okay. So exactly. So he steepens it on the way down and you're asking him now, or he wants to, or you're asking him now to take it back, get it and stand the shaft up a little bit more vertically and, and, and leave room to now where you can Mm -hmm. externally rotate the trail shoulder, drop it inside and drop it more underneath versus. So now you're flattening it. So you're going from flat to steep and now you want to go to steep to flat, man, that is massive. That is yeah. like, that's, I mean, that's big. 
I mean, that's that's yep. deconstructing deconstructing the leaning tower of Pisa and putting it back yeah. the same way. I mean, I, I, I and, and expecting. I honestly, I mean, I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to happen, but it is going to be very, very difficult. Yeah. In my humble opinion yeah. for Ricky that massive of a change. Um, I I just think he, he at this point in his career he is who he is, and he is going to be hot. He's going to be cold. He is going to hit incredible shots. Yep. He's going to hit some shots that make you go, huh, well, where'd that come from? And and I think that's all part of his DNA. And there's nothing wrong with that, quite honestly. Uh, I think Ricky can win a major with what he has right now. I don't think he needs anything else. Um, so if John thinks that he can get this done, more power to him. Uh, I have, I do have my doubts, though, as a, as a player who kind of understands what Ricky's trying to do to a certain extent. That's a difficult switch. Massive change. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big change for sure. And um, yeah, and, and I think, you know, it's it's very much in line with, uh, you know, the rhetoric that you see um, on social media and, and, and taught, you know, predominantly, right? The shallowing of the shaft, facilitating rotation um, with the body through yeah. impact. There's not many players that steepen it. Um, Jason, Jason Day and, steepens and it. Ricky, Ricky steepens it. Most of his career. Um, um, yep. Know, Jason Day's a little steep. Lee Bill Schmidt, steep. Um, you know, brings it down steep. Yep. Phil Mickelson, uh, probably, yeah, coming down with the with the lead wrist extended. Um, you know, the steepness of the shaft and extended lead wrist coming down, cupped for those that don't know what extended is. Uh, you know, that that's kind of thing well, a lot of on chalk. Yeah, a lot of a lot know, of the new school teachers uh, that is they, they just the, they're just like they see it and they go ah that. we got to change that so yeah. <laughs> Right. So it, it's interesting time right now, I, I think. And, you know, we know a lot. Uh, the science is there. Um, I, I think speed creation has obviously taken over uh, the PGA Tour and um, amateur golfers are trying to get more speed. Um, they're just trying to hit it straighter, you know, at the end of the day and enjoy <laughs> the game. Don't roll the damn ball back for the amateur. Um, <laughs> but but, it, you know, the science in TrackMan has whittled it down, I think, to this is what we know mm-hmm. to be the best from a science standpoint. And I hope and I hope that with that information um, that we yes. don't coach the DNA out, we don't coach the genius out. And um, I think we have enough smart people uh, in the game at all levels that will continue to learn from our mistakes and that will continue to communicate um, in the right way and will continue to move the needle forward um, and make the professional golfer the best that they can be because you can't you oh, can't deny from top to bottom Aaron. it's incredible uh, the level of play right now is so extraordinary good it's just ridiculous the corn Ferry tour which you've won twice on the canadian tour which you've won twice on um, i see these guys yeah, and I'm yeah like, there, there are Wait, there are what? you're on the Latin a bunch tour? of I mean, like on those tours going man i need to get a shot i got i can't i mean so good you've got to you've definitely got to do what you got to do to to separate yourself yeah you there um so yeah someone called sorry uh, yeah, I'm there. yeah so yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it, it's it's hard to separate days it's really hard to separate yourself yeah 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 it is and you just hope that you know like you said the players make the right decision for themselves because they have they are the owner you know of their own enterprise and make the right decisions for themselves to protect um, their talent uh, and their genius. And um, I think we will, I think we continue to evolve. We continue to get better. The level of play is just ridiculous right now. And oh, um, I'm excited for them to get back to work here at the end of the May. And um, I appreciate uh, 
Hey, Aaron, I appreciate you coming on the Stripe Show podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Stripe Show podcast. I'm Travis Fulton. We'll see you next time.